expectations you always do spoilers swears and you know there's feedback you can you can send feedback to rankandreview at gmail.com that's r-a-n-k-n-r-e-v-i-e-w at gmail.com the website is rankandreview.ca um, I've been having issues with my feed here and there, so if you're having trouble wherever you're getting your podcast from, the podcast is always available at rankingreview.ca. Friendly Podcasts are the shelf-shedding movie show, Cobwebs the Gothic Horror Podcast, the Terror Table Podcast, and the Welcome to Riverdale Podcast. And as I've mentioned, you're going to be introduced to a new podcast this episode. Thank you so much for listening to Rank and Review, and I hope you keep doing it. Uh, Kurt Fitzpatrick is my guest for this episode of Rank and Review, and I don't know you very well, brother, but I really appreciate you being part of this show. Uh, I know you're involved with The Fringe, and you do a lot of acting and theater work, so I think we are, uh, you know, we could cut from a similar cloth. But the other interesting thing is the six movies that you and I are going to be talking about this episode. I don't know your taste, you don't know my taste, and these are what I would like to say very crazy 80s movies. I was, wow. born, I was born in 76, so the 80s were my childhood, so I am very adjusted to these waters. Where do you land on 80s cinema? Okay, well first off, uh, thanks for having me on the show. Of course. Uh, pleasure to be here. I was born in 72, so I definitely lived through the 80s, and of these movies, of these six 80s movies, four of them I had never seen before. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> these were, some slipped through my fingers, some I don't think I ever had any interest okay. in seeing. Yeah. Well, on Rank and Review, I focus on what I call genre movies. So, like, horror, fantasy, sci-fi is the focus. Um, I will do pretty much any movie, but those are where 
my my loves really tend to be. I also feel like those are the genres that get less respect as a rule. <laughs> right. But, well, there's a few in here like uh, Maximum Overdrive is a movie I've always been aware of, and it's it's a movie that I I probably should have seen, <laughs> and because of this, I've had that I have had that opportunity. And there's a couple in here I've never seen that I surprisingly liked. So, <laughs> or at least one. Well, this is what I wanted my opening salvo to be, because are movies that are fun or entertaining, like, is that enough to call them good? I have this this uncanny sort of thing with a lot of the ones we're going to talk about today, where objectively, if someone were to ask me, is Masters of the Universe a good movie? I have a real hard time saying that Masters of the Universe is a good movie. Do I enjoy myself while I watch Masters of the Universe? Well, that's a whole different question. <laughs> yes, that is. That is. And I also think about the context. Like, we're going to talk about Earth Girls are easy. I think that depends on where you're seeing it. I think it could work well in certain environments. So, Like the like, 80s. I, I, yeah, but I also think, well, I could... I Well, I, I could... When we, when we start... To, Talking about Earth Girls are easy. I can tell you exactly what I mean. And it's like in a, in a context of where you're where you, where you're seeing it, right? Like, well, for I guess I'll just explain it now. Like, I think it's a movie that works more having it on at a party, right? Or having it on like at a bar at a club with the sound off, <laughs> as opposed to actually watching it as a full length piece of entertainment. Or there are movies that are very forward-thinking, bold, and cutting-edge for their time. So when you're watching it in theaters in 1983, like Brainstorm, for instance, it'll blow your mind in 1983. In 2021, the impact is significantly lessened. Is it a bad movie? So this is the trick that I'm having with a lot of the movies that we're going to talk about today, because... Objectively, do I think it's a really super strong list? No, but I had a ton of fun with it, <laughs> so I don't want to be yeah. too mean. <laughs> yeah, I would say I enjoyed all these movies on some level. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it should be interesting. Um, is there anything else that you would like to say by way of introduction before I uh, list off these movies and we start the reviews? Oh, my introduction. Well, I always plug my own podcast that I do called A Lifetime of Hallmark Myself and two other guys, we um, we do a comedic dissertation of Hallmark and Lifetime movies. So that's available wherever you wherever you find podcasts these days. That's fantastic. I didn't know that. I will definitely check that out. I was recently made aware of I want to say a Hallmark or a Lifetime movie that Kristen Wiig and Will oh, yes. Ferrell did. And apparently it's not done for laughs, like it's painfully straight, but I'm strangely fascinated (laughs) to see what that was. Yeah, I've never seen that, but I know it's, it's, that's the kind of thing, like, you hear about it, the the concept is pretty funny, but then when you actually watch it, it's a straightforward uh, Lifetime movie. Yeah, well, he did a similar thing where he did a Spanish language Western movie, and like, it's just weird that it's Will Ferrell doing a Spanish language Western movie, but... It doesn't really set itself any goals beyond that, you know? Right. I've heard of that. I've, that one I haven't uh, seen either. <laughs> well, for another episode of Rank and Review. Okay, well, definitely check out that podcast. Can you say the name for it one more time? A Lifetime of Hallmark. 
Absolutely. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you did that. See, this is why I probably should have talked to you before we recorded the podcast, because I would have totally plugged that for you as well. Uh, great. That's no, awesome. I got to experience your element of surprise. <laughs> well, I was stalking you on Facebook. I probably should have stumbled on that. At some point, all of these movies made me sort of go, what the fuck am I watching? <laughs> so, I know. Uh, we're going to talk about Maximum Overdrive, an infamous 80s film that was actually written and directed by Stephen King. It's the only time he actually directed a feature motion picture. Yeah, I, I saw, according to Wikipedia, he, he calls it a, a moron movie. Yeah. And he said he would never direct again. Yeah. And he hasn't. We'll, we'll definitely get into it. We're going to talk about Critters 2, the main course. We're going to talk about the Masters of the Universe. We're going to talk about Earth Girls Are Easy. We're going to talk, and this one stands out of the list because it's actually straight-faced, Brainstorm, which is a, like a strange 80s science fiction, ambitious, you know, envelope-pushing feature of its time. So we can appreciate that. And The Running Man with Arnold Schwarzenegger, an adaptation of Richard Bachman a la Stephen King, but uh, uh, one of the adaptations that very, very, very much does not resemble <laughs> the original source, for, but uh, is in its own way, its own thing. Uh, those are the six crazy 80s movies we're going to talk about. Thank you so much for being here, Kurt. Oh, you're welcome. It's my pleasure. Boom. Hi. My name is Stephen King. I've written several motion pictures, but I want to tell you about a movie called Maximum Overdrive, which is the first one I've directed. Wow. What in the dickens is going on around here? A lot of people have directed Stephen King novels and stories, and I finally decided if you want something done right, you ought to do it yourself. Who was driving it? I don't know. Curtis! It's coming after us! It was my first picture as a director. And you know something? I sort of enjoyed it. What is going on? I don't know! I just wanted someone to do Stephen King right. You want a war? You got one. <laughs> I just want to get the hell out of here. So come and spend some time with me and my friends at the Dixie Boy. Spend some time in the dark. Please don't let okay. me in the dark. I'm gonna scare the hell out of you. And that's a promise. You're gonna get us in an awful lot of trouble, man. We already in trouble. Maximum terror. Jesus coming and he is. Maximum King. Maybe tomorrow will be our world again. Dino De Laurentiis presents Stephen King's Maximum Overdrive. If you were to watch the trailer for Maximum Overdrive, I don't know if you've seen it. You see, yeah, Stephen King himself introducing the movie. And he has this, like, unbelievably arrogant thing where he's like, uh, a few people have taken stabs at my work in the past, but I decided for this particular story, if you want something done right, you gotta do it yourself. <laughs> now, 
That's not necessarily true. He just proved that wrong. <laughs> yeah. And to think of the, the names that he's throwing under the bus here. Like, think about this. Stanley Kubrick, John Carpenter, Brian De Palma, Rob Reiner. Like, holy shit, dude. Are you ever setting yourself up for a fall? And I know oh, he... Yeah, because this this was after Stand By Me and before Misery. That's right. right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but like, I know you've never made a movie before. I know you're excited and hopped up on on cocaine and alcohol. I'm not talking shit about the man. He admits this himself. He was out of his mind the whole time he was doing it. But I do also think it was a personal hit to me that he also then, on top of this, centered the movie on Emilio Estevez. I. <laughs> I don't, like, I have a weird reaction with Emilio Estevez. I just, like, I don't quite understand his stardom. I get he was in The Breakfast Club. He was important to the 80s in a lot of ways. But, like, I have this thing with Emilio Estevez that he's, like, taking up someone else's seat. He just, his daddy was was was, Charlie, was Martin Sheen, not Charlie Sheen. And he got a foothold into Hollywood, and he was good enough to stick around, but not, like, he was never A.A. Lister. He was always Emilio Estevez, right? He outlasted some of the other people in the Brat Pack, because he did those um, Mighty Duck movies. So he lasted a little bit longer than Andrew McCarthy and Molly Ringwald and Judd Nelson. Yeah. Like, he, he, got, like, got, he got, like, five years on them. Sure. I just have this thing, if Emilio Estevez is centering a movie, I tend not to connect with it. With the exception of the first Young Guns movie, which I, for some reason, even though it's silly, I, I just have an affection for it. Usually usually when he plays tough guys, particularly like in this movie or in the movie from the 90s called Judgment Night, I have a hard time believing Emilio Estevez is the tough leading man. He's like five foot yeah. nothing and he looks very punchable to me. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Yeah. I guess he doesn't. I guess I never had any strong feelings about him either way. He doesn't bother me. I think in the Breakfast Club, he's he's good in that. What else did I like him in? I don't know. Well, that's the thing. That's the thing with everyone. Yeah. The first Mission sure. Impossible, I enjoyed seeing his head get squished. I guess. See, like the Mighty Ducks movies, I never saw. Like he did a movie called Free Jack with Mick Jagger. I've never seen that. Yeah. Um, Judgment Day. I think. Uh, I think when I saw it, the projector broke, so I saw like half of it. It wasn't very good. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, what else was he in? Oh, like St. Elmo's Fire. I, I don't remember. Yeah. Uh, the po point is, is like, uh, I don't know. He's not my favorite leading man. That may not be the movie's fault. That may be on me. But a lot of it is the movie's fault. Right. The, the movie's based on a short story called Trucks from one of his collections. And it's a very sort of Twilight Zone, simple idea. One day all of the uh, vehicles suddenly come to life. And in the movie, it goes on to all electronics. But in the story, it's specifically these trucks that are circling this diner in the middle of nowhere. And these people are sieged by technology. It's not smart. It's basically about a group of people that get whittled down. And, man, the movie is aggressive. It's got this, like blaring ACDC soundtrack and it's got characters who are constantly screaming at each other and when we get tired of being locked in this Dixie Pig diner which happens quickly we cut away to random montages of people out there in the world just being destroyed by various forms of technology 
The actual A to B to C story is kind of vague in this. It's a series yeah. of loud, obnoxious events. And uh, I, as much as I love Stephen King, cannot bring myself to defend Maximum Overdrive. It doesn't Do qualify remember? so bad it's good to me. Do you remember also in the, in the trailer for the movie, he points at the camera and he says, I'm going to scare the hell out of you. Mm. Nope. Remember that? I do remember that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I always remembered that. I thought, I thought, what a ballsy thing. Like, this is the trailer of the movie. <laughs> on some level, I'd always wanted to see Maximum Overdrive, but I never saw it. I guess it never showed up on HBO or anything. I never rented it. Um, I, you know, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. My expectations were just so low rock bottom <laughs> I, I thought it was going to be the worst movie I'm fascinated I, and I, would, I can say this about some of the other movies we're doing I'm fascinated that, that there was a time that existed that Maximum Overdrive was a movie that you could see at a multiplex yep <laughs> those times those times are long gone these uh, movies don't make it that far anymore it's one of these movies that would make a cool trailer, but not a cool movie. <laughs> like yeah. like the semi-trailer with the big green goblin face crashing through stuff. That looks cool. That crazy loud ACDC soundtrack. That sounds exciting. But then you watch the movie. Look, uh, Geardley Smith, she who voices Lisa Simpson. Thank you for Lisa Simpson. No thank you for this role in Maximum Overdrive. Literally, she does sound like nails down a chalkboard. And I really do think they're accentuating how irritating her voice is. Like, they're asking her to lean into the squeal. But holy well, yeah. shit, is she hard to listen to. It was Stephen King asking her to do it, you know. Amp it up a little. Amp it up. We need more. More. <laughs> I would love to know. I would love to, like, sit down with one of these actors and say, what was it like to work with Stephen King as a, as a director? You know, Stephen King, because you know, there's very few examples of someone who's famous for writing novels who then directed. Like, who else did that? The only other example I can think of is William Peter Blatty directed The Exorcist Three. Michael Crichton directed a couple of movies. Oh, he did. He yeah. directed. Okay. I want to say he did The Great Train Robbery and maybe another one, but I could be I could be lying to you. Somebody check okay. IMDb right now. <laughs> but I'm Michael Crichton did direct a couple of movies. <laughs> okay, so that's. Uh, John Grissom has been smart enough to stay away from, from this. Uh, um, I think that might, I, as far as I know, this is a very short, short list of people. No, just because you're gifted at one medium doesn't automatically assume that you're going to be well suited to another. It doesn't mean that you won't, but. Well, your skill set as a novelist and a skill set as a film director, that's much different, I would say. I agree. There's no reason why one. Skill set would lend itself to the other, and it hasn't really. Although a lot of people do like The Exorcist three, mm -hmm. although I don't remember much about it. Um, yeah, no, this movie was this movie was crazy. It was a it was pretty brutal in the violence, in the sense that it kind of it just like killed people who didn't necessarily had to be killed. Like there's a, a scene where there's a little league game, yep. and the little league coach gets killed by a soda machine. Who he gets closer to the soda machine to see what's why these sodas are flying out. <laughs> And I think, yeah, I think it actually killed him. It killed some of the kids. Yeah. I don't know. A kid gets steamrolled or lawnmowered. And, <laughs> like... A kid gets steamrolled. <laughs> See, these days, this movie, like, the, the kids would get killed. <laughs> there's also 
there's also like a montage of all these people who are dead on the street. They were all killed by the, I don't know, cars, like, uh, like electronics, the street sweepers. And there's like, there's a person on the street, person on the street, and then they showed a dog. Yeah. And I was like, oh no. Too oh. far. Too, Too far, far, Mr. King. Okay. <laughs> I don't mind all the people who are dead and the kids, but jeez, you gotta do this to a dog? Well, I've said it before about Stephen King as far as his writing. I am a big Stephen King fan. I am like six books away from having the entire Stephen King library. Like I am I'm 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 hardcore in there. But I I like his short stories, I like his novels. His screenplays are largely rocky to me. Uh right. Like just straight telling the story through the Stephen King dialogue. Like a lot of the times it's sort of his character dialogue that you kind of course correct for as you're reading the book people don't really talk that way but they talk that way in Stephen King universe and Stephen King universe works better in a book than it does on the screen especially if you have mid-level actors who don't know how to deal with this like clunky lines yeah the the woman he has for the lead in this movie uh, I believe she gives a monologue at one point she starts crying at one point it's clearly not uh, no (laughs) Meryl Streep level crying or the, um, the waitress who loses it and starts yelling, We made you! Right, we made you. Yes, I wrote that in my notes. I wrote these a long time ago, so I wasn't sure exactly what the context, but I did write, Waitress, we made you. Yes. She me as well. basically commits suicide by starting, she just starts screaming, We made you, and runs out into gunfire, essentially. <laughs> but, uh, but you know what? This movie is notable. It features Marla Maples in a role. Oh, there you go. Um, Good. Yeah, very few people have used her her acting skills. You know, and here it is. Stephen King saw something in her. So good. And it features Giancarlo Esposito in his first film role. Oh yeah, I keep on seeing that guy popping up in like early or late eighties, early nineties movies, and like one scene roles. I'm like, you've been around forever. <laughs> Way to go, man. Yeah. Way to keep working. So I'm a big Stephen King fan as well, and I've read almost the entire. Dark. I read almost the entire Dark Tower series except for like the last, the very last book I haven't read. Oh, really? That's yeah. interesting. I've just I got I made it that far. Haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> so how was the movie, the Dark Tower movie? Well, uh, you can listen to my review on the show, but the short form notes of it is that it's terrible. Okay. It's terrible, disrespectfully terrible. They tried to cram seven books into ninety nine minutes. You just don't oh, do no. that. You just don't do that. Yeah. Uh, I wanted it to be good, but it wasn't. Uh, coming back to Maximum Overdrive, though, uh, here's another fun fact about this movie. They did another version of this. They did a, another version? Of Trucks. It's called Trucks, and believe it or not, it's worse. When did this come out? Uh, I'm going to say late 90s, maybe early aughts. It was made in Canada. I reviewed it for the show a couple years ago, and... It's it's boring and flat in the way that I have been saying very negative things about Maximum Overdrive here, but here's what I won't say. It's not boring or flat. It doesn't just lie there. It is screaming at you the whole time. And it, I think that Maximum Overdrive does become, on occasion, accidentally kind of hilarious. If you are a connoisseur of all things bad and over the top, on that level I can recommend Maximum Overdrive. On no level at all can I recommend Trucks. So, weirdly, my my anger for this movie has been sort of <laughs> dropped a little bit because 
It's one of those Stephen King story concepts that probably works better in anthology. Like this story probably should sustain itself for 20 minutes or a half an hour just comfortably. But once you try to give it 90 minutes, I don't know if it holds. Yeah, yeah maybe he should have maybe he should have done one of those anthology movies. Like there was one of those like hack Cat's Eye. Was yep. that one of those movies where he did like like four stories in a row? Creep Show, the original Creep Show was five Stephen King short stories. Yeah, that's right, Creep Show. Yeah. Um so there's a movie called Trucks. So Stephen King gave his blessing for this to happen again. <laughs> Maybe he thought like it would would make people f- stop asking him questions about maximum overdrive, but I will oh, never man. stop asking questions of maximum overdrive. At the end of the day, it might just be an is what it is movie. Like you kind of knew what you were in for. Like you said, you'd meant to watch maximum overdrive, but it came out in the late '80s and you'd never gotten around to it. So I have to assume there was a reason for that. And when you yeah. watched it, that reason was confirmed. Do you regret watching it? No, I don't. I, I I believe it was better than I than I had expected. And I think on a, I know this seems kind of silly, but stunt driving, like for yeah, on that on that level, it actually is kind of cool. It gave a lot of work to a, a drivers, right? Stunt drivers. So they did some good work. I'm sure they'd be happy to hear that. And if you but like ACDC, hard. it's easy. ACD. Well, I just see that as kind of like Stephen King was Stephen King, so he could. He could call Angus Young or whoever's an ACDC and say, hey, I'm making a movie, all right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's do it. So I don't know what more to say about it. Like, I don't necessarily recommend it, but I mean, it, it is what it is. You've heard what we've said. You know the movie's reputation. Do you want to see uh, the world's most famous author absolutely humiliate himself? Sure, check it out. I, but there is, yeah. there's much better ways to spend your time. <laughs> Yeah, I guess as a curiosity, it's not a necessary thing. There's, there's, there are many things you should watch before this. Agreed. Is there is anything this else? The worst? Is this really the worst Stephen King adaptation? Did he make his worst a- adaptation though? I don't know that I could say that. It depends. Like the the Lawnmower Man is a terrible movie, but it's not even really an adaptation. Like at okay. the end of days, is it? Uh, like the Tommy Knockers, I find to be a pretty hard watch. Uh, there, there's some tough ones out there. The thing about this one is that it's bad, but it's it's sort of flashy and loud in its badness. I, I find that easier to watch than a movie that is tedious and boring. Uh, the Golden Years, there's a TV miniseries he did, which I would qualify as being tedious and boring. <laughs> like, a, So, um, I'm not going to say that it's the worst Stephen King adaptation, but I will say it's in the discussion. Right. <laughs> He also tried to course correct The Shining because he doesn't yeah. like Kubrick Shining. Yeah. So he made his own like two night miniseries, which is far inferior. Yeah. To that, that's being kind. That's being kind. Right. I believe that Shining was reviewed on the very same episode that I reviewed Trucks. <laughs> no, I'm not listening to that one. <laughs> Grover's Bend. It's just a speck on the map. Transform. They get a different class of tourist here. Company's coming. Noisier. Pushier. They're turning this peaceful little town. Into dinner. 
do. I can't hear you. Anybody out there hear me? We need a sheriff. Go check the elevator. Those hungry hairballs from outer space are on a roll. Let's just get help. Oh, who are we gonna call? Critter Busters? And they'll eat anything. We're going to end up tomorrow's leftovers. There must be hundreds of those. Critters 2, the main course. You got nothing to lose but your lives. So we're going to talk about Critters 2, the main course. And uh, speaking of Stephen King, the director of this movie, Mick Garris, would bring us a lot of Stephen King adaptations. The TV version of The Shining, Mick Garris directed it. The TV version of The Stand from the 90s, Mick Garris directed it. A feature film written by Stephen King that might be crazier than Maximum Overdrive called Sleepwalkers was directed by Mick Garris. This is one of the first films that he directed. I think he might have done the fourth Psycho movie, maybe just before or just after this. Um, but he's an interesting figure in that he's always been fascinated by the horror industry. He likes to talk to, interview all of these great filmmakers like John Carpenter and Wes Craven and all of this. Like, he was a behind-the-scenes guy who did a lot of research uh, into horror before he started making his own horror movies. And in spite of being a horror movie enthusiast and doing a lot of work with Stephen King, most of the time with Mick Garris, I find that it's, it's all right. It's fine. It's just I, I rarely get super excited about it. When I was, <clears throat> I'm going to say, 13 or 14, and I saw Critters 2, the main course, for the first time, as far as I'm concerned, if you worked on Critters 2, you were some kind of a genius. <laughs> You had life figured out if you got paid to work on Critters 2. Like, I know that it's not an amazing movie at all, but I, I am filtering my appreciation for this movie like I will for another movie we're going to be discussing through the 13-year-old version of me, okay? The 44-year-old version of me sees a lot of holes in this, but the 13-year-old version of me was utterly charmed by Critters 2. And I think it was because it was a horror movie that was trying to appeal to as big an audience as possible. They're casting a wide net. So they want to be scary, but they also want to be funny. They want to be horror, but they also want to be sci-fi. Like, they want to be wholesome, but they also want to be a little bit mean-spirited. It's all over the place. Now, I don't know how somebody who didn't watch Critters 2 in 1988 would react to it. So I just have to give We're you my. Hear soon. Sorry. You're gonna hear soon because I. Uh, first yeah. time I saw it. Oh, there you go. Uh, but for me, it was sort of nostalgia. I was just like, I remember how much I loved the movie. I know it's not as good as I thought it was when I was 13, but I'm not gonna sit here and talk shit about Critters 2. It takes. Uh, I don't know how familiar you are with the original Critters. But uh, the town drunk ends up disappearing with these bounty hunters at the end of the first Critters movies. Uh, these guys show up to stop the alien invasion of the Critters, these little furball creatures, very much of the gremlin aesthetic, or, you know, the little creatures phase that was going on in the 80s. Gremlins, ghoulies, Critters, we had a lot of these little monster movies. And I always thought that Gremlins... Munchies, thank you, was another good one. For me, yeah. Gremlins and Critters were the sort of top tier of that of that group. 
but, you know, Gremlins clearly got there first. It's fun. It's not smart. <laughs> it's got uh, cheesy special effects done by the Kyoto Brothers, the same team that brought us Killer Clowns from Outer Space. And I have a dumb smile on my face. I, I, I lose credibility as a critic, and I feel like I'm going to be saying this a few times throughout this episode, but I do have a guilty pleasure response to Critters too. Like, I just do. Well, I, I never saw a Critters movie, and apparently there's a whole, there's at least five, six. There's five, I believe, yeah. There's 12? Five, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, then, they're, then, then now they're doing, like, a, you know how it is, a, they have, like, a TV series now, like a Karate Kid is a Cobra Kai. Critters has their own TV series, like a recent thing. I didn't hear that, so awesome. It's never stopped. Oh yeah! Apparently, there's a there's a critter show, and I I can't believe how much I enjoyed this movie. Yay! <laughs> I wish I wish someone had told me about the critters years ago, because this movie is on point. It. <laughs> I like the critter. You know what? But really, the, I, the thing I'm fascinated is you're talking about the munchies and the ghoulies. Why did Gremlins have so many ripoff movies? Because I'm thinking like, well. Back to the Future was a hit. We didn't see Back to the Future ripoffs, but but Gremlins, it's like an industry of ripoffs. Yeah, that's that is interesting. I think Gremlins is not. Yeah, Gremlins oh. isn't my favorite movie in the world. No, I'm not, I'm not. I don't like Gremlins as much as a lot of people do. Right. I think that horror movies are so horror movies are easier to produce fairly cheaply than like science fiction, which is sort of like wall to wall spectacle. Like, you design the critter monsters, and that's the big sort of thing of your budget. You don't need a star, you don't need a lot of other things, so I think it's easy to make a cheapo tiny goblin movie than it is to make a cheapo version of Back to the Future. I'm just, I'm postulating, I don't know, I'm just trying to answer your question, but... uh, No, that makes sense, though. That makes sense. I liked, okay, so, what I enjoy about, I, I, of course, I love, it's it's pure 80s 80s when you see Eddie Deason. Eddie Deason had a role in this, who uh, your audience may remember is, is Eugene in Greece. That's probably his most famous role. Okay. Eddie, Eddie Deason, I you know that just that just works for me. <laughs> um, once again, I, I I appreciate that this movie had a, this movie one one time played at a multiplex. Right. The movie theater see this. I just love that 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 exists in, in our history. Um, oh, what else did I? The, the other thing I was curious, you know, the way they say that. Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Is Critters 2 an Easter movie? I wanted to bring that up. Get out of my head, Kurt. <laughs> I think it is. I, it was released in the summertime, but I think that Easter is an untapped well of potential horror. Just think of like the actual grimness of what the Easter celebration is. It's about death and resurrection. Like... It is thematically absolutely on point for a horror movie. And yes, this 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 does take place over Easter weekend, including a a sheriff dressed up as a Easter bunny getting consumed uh, a bunch of critters get inside the bunny costume and basically eat him from within. Yeah, it's pretty grotesque. I guess you would expect it to be. Yeah, these these critters are pretty nasty. Well, nasty critters, if I do say so. Now that they just uh... They just supplied me with the word. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they're nasty things. They like they, they chewed off someone's foot. It's a it's a, it's a horrible thing. <laughs> it's a horrible monsters. <laughs> but they know they, they have some pop culture references. So they have the because the because the, the, I remember the 
vast pop culture knowledge. They could do they could break dance. They were doing scenes from Casablanca. And the Critters have a little bit of this as well. Well, I think that the Critters, obviously, like I said, are stealing from Gremlins. And, you know, if you're going to steal, steal the stuff that worked. And one of the things that I find charming about the Gremlins franchise is how much the Gremlins themselves enjoy being Gremlins. Like, there's... There's some sort of weird joy they have in the mayhem that they're creating. They laugh while they're doing all of this terrible murder. And, like, they have a strange charm to them. Yeah. Like, I'm not cheering for the critters in this movie. Yeah. I'm not cheering for the critters in this movie, but the critters do make me smile. And, like, I, I also am amused sometimes where the yeah. critters, like, uh, critter themselves to death. One of them tries to bite into a car tire and it, it, it explodes him. <laughs> from the air pressure uh, one of the yeah. critters gets deep fried memorably I seem to remember <laughs> oh this is fun stuff I want to watch I, I was on a, I saw this on HBO Max and they also have critters they have critters fives available I almost watched it. I was like, I need to relax. I think I'll watch this Critters 5. <laughs> well, look, <laughs> if you want to further explore the Critters franchise, I, I encourage you to. Fritters, Fritters? No, Critters 3 stars a young Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> Leo Di- in his film debut? That's right. Critters 4 is in space, and it has... Brad Dourif. Uh, Brad Dourif is in Critters yeah. 4, <laughs> and uh, it's set in space for some Very reason. Nice. They're not great movies, no, but they're fun true. movies. <laughs> is, now, is, is, that the, is that the blueprint? Because I remember in a Leprechaun, he goes to space in like part four or five. Yeah, well, in, like instead of doing Leprechaun 5, we're out of ideas, you do Leprechaun 5 in space or whatever, right? <laughs> <laughs> leprechaun in the hood, I think there was, yeah. Well, they did the two Leprechauns in what? the hoods. <laughs> oh, okay. My... <laughs> My one criticism is that when all the leprechauns are at the all-you-can-eat buffet... Or the critters. I don't get it. Oh, what I said? Leprechauns? Yeah. <laughs> the critters. Doesn't make any difference. Yeah, when, when the, the critters are eating at the all-you-can-eat, it doesn't really seem like they're eating. No. There's no true sign of a digestive system. So they just seem to be yapping, like like slapping their, their mouths together like a puppet. I want to see a little more realism in it digested process. No, it's true. They have a bit of a cookie monster thing going on where they sort of just yeah. like <laughs> mash the stuff into their faces. But again, I think yeah. they're kind of weirdly charming. Uh, when I was a kid, yeah. they made me think of from the Dark Crystal, there was this character called Fizzgig, uh, the, the Jim Henson movie. This just little ball. It, lo- it sort of barked like a dog, but it was essentially just a ball with a huge mouth. <laughs> And I always yeah. loved Fizzgig when I was a kid watching that movie and wished that I had a pet Fizzgig. <laughs> and then somebody went and made a movie full of evil versions of that. Um, they also raised the scale a little bit. Like, the bounty hunters come back, but they we get to know the bounty hunters a little bit in this movie. And they take the form of different, like, people in the town or, like, at one point, a... a, a a centerfold from Playboy magazine, <laughs> just to add a little strange color to the to the proceedings. Yeah, that worked out well. And uh, it becomes Eddie Deason. Back to Eddie Deason. That happens at one point. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and they kind of <laughs> they kind of updated the the critters' abilities. I don't remember unless I'm unless I'm forgetting. They don't form into a giant ball and roll over yes, in in the first movie. I mean. Oh, the first movie. I don't think they do that in the first movie. I think that was created. I never saw it. 
I think that was created, if my memory is serving me correctly, that was created especially for Critters 2, and I thought it was a nice touch. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. I like that. Yeah, it definitely worked well in terms of transport. <laughs> it was definitely very. It was it was a very economic way for the critters to travel. Um, yeah. We're 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 selling this movie pretty hard, but I do have to sort of calm down a little bit and say this is also one of those movies that if you think about it at any time for just a little bit, it completely falls apart on you. Yeah, if you can see it for free, I know. I, I don't. I'm, I know on HBO Max you could watch it for free. You have nothing to lose. No, no. It's an enjoyable movie. Some of the actors, they've got some good actors. Sure. Barry, Barry Corbin, I haven't seen him in years. Well, he, is, he actually is still around, but I hadn't, I hadn't seen him in years. Uh, Pat the, uh, Hingle? His, or, you know, the kid has been in other stuff. He has. Um, sorry, what was his name? Uh, Scott Grimes. He was, he, he, he was at ER... The the Star Trek. Yeah, he was at ER for a couple of years. What do they call it? The Orville, the the Star Trek sort of show. That oh, yeah. He's one of the main characters in the Orville now. Oh, okay. That actor. Fun fact. Um, the I would say that they got better actors than you would expect to be in a movie called Critters to the main course, like pretty much wall to wall. Like the everybody is doing better work than you'd think that they would do, but. That's sort of the thing I loved about it. Like, I imagine it would be fun to be on set with these puppet critters and to just know that you're making a goofy, fun movie that wants to be nothing but goofy and fun. And yeah, in, you know what you're in for. Yeah, yeah. It's completely successful at that. It is not high art. Like, my friend Matt and I raved about this movie called uh, Deep Star Six from the 80s. Uh, I remember that. I don't think I saw that, but yeah, I remember that. And we totally oversold it. It was just one of those things that, upon revisiting that movie, it hit us just perfectly in the right day, in the right way. And we ended up just foaming at the mouth about how great Deep Star Six is. And I listened to that review, and it makes me smile, but, like, we are way overselling the movie. And I think we're in danger of overselling Critters too. but it's just way better than it has any business being. And I, I love yeah. being surprised by movies in that way. And just to make it worse, uh, I watched a little a little interview with Joe Dante, who directed the Gremlins movies, and they asked him about the the Gremlins ripoffs. And he said he said he didn't like Ghoulies. He's, he hates Ghoulies, but he liked Critters, and he specifically mentioned Critters too. He liked Critters too. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, if you're gonna there steal, go. steal from the best. <laughs> Is there anything else you want to say about Critters too? Uh, well, just that I, um, the actor who played the newspaper, the newspaper guy, and I, I also appreciate seeing an old movie where they're they're actually like laying out the newspaper headlines physically. Right. I haven't seen that. In a while. That guy played. That I, I was a big fan of Lost when that show was on. He was he played uh, the character Bernard, uh, Bernard. Okay. On Lost. Oh, yeah. the old couple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bernard and Rhodes. Yeah. So I he was familiar to me, but I didn't place him. That's totally correct. Good, good, good yeah, eye. Yeah. yeah, that's it for. Uh, that's all I have to say about. <laughs> Check it out. I think that if you if you grew up in the era, you'll like it particularly. But it's got its charms for pretty much all time. <laughs> I think I'm gonna need some backup. 
Can you show us the way? Of course. No. Somebody help me! distant galaxy, they have come to Earth. Dolph Lundgren as He-Man, Frank Langella as Skeletor. Only they have the powers to be. Masters of the Universe, live the adventure. Okay, let's talk about some canon films. Like, there are bad, cheesy 80s movies, and then there is the canon lexicon of movies. And what I love about canon bad movies, which I have to include Masters of the Universe in, but movies like this and Over the Top and Cobra and shit like that, is that they're bad movies, but they're not trying to be bad movies. Like, they're going for it. They've got a budget, they got a lot of money, they got a lot of enthusiasm, and they're screaming like they want to make these epic blockbusters. But there's something so insane about them. Alright, here's, here's full disclosure about Masters of the Universe. I was saying that I was a Stephen King fan earlier. When I was a little kid, I was a huge Masters of the Universe fan. And to me, like, liking or not liking the Masters of the Universe movie wasn't really a question. They made a Masters of the Universe movie, ergo, it was amazing. <laughs> and uh, obviously the people who made the movie didn't care about the toy line and didn't care about the stories that were told in the cartoon because they just do a classic fish out of water. They basically are doing Star Trek IV, <laughs> The Voyage Home. Our characters are swept from Eternia to the modern world of 1987 America <laughs> through this cosmic key. We get maybe four characters that were characters from the animated series or that were actual action figures. They invented everything else. And the movie is convoluted and like just... It's a slog and it's messy and it's big and it's loud. And I kind of dig it. Like I just... I. <laughs> I know it's not good, like, I, I, I accept that it's bad, but I embrace it. I, I just make a meal out of it. But it's a different kind of thing than Critters 2, because Critters 2, I think, is legit good at doing what it's doing. Whereas I think Masters of the Universe is kind of failing at doing what it's doing. But in that failure, I am taking a lot of joy. I think the only person that yeah. comes out of the movie holding his head high is Frank Langella playing Skeletor, because <laughs> man, is he ever just 1,000% committed to this ridiculous role. It. And he said he did it because his son loved uh, the, the cartoon. His son would always run around the house saying, by the power of Skull," and he thought, he's going to do this movie, and his son's going to lose his mind. And, like, he arranged a Probably screening. Did. He arranged a screening before anybody else in the world had seen this movie so he could sit with his son in a theater and watch Masters of the Universe. And his son fell asleep 20 minutes into the movie. Really? I didn't know that. That's funny. So, That's great. it's a hot well, mess. Don't work 
it's a hot mess, but I, I, I enjoy it. I enjoy it. Again, this episode is a real weird one. That's a perfect example. Sometimes, sometimes you know, things don't work out the way you expect. <laughs> I, don't, I didn't hear that part of the story. I did read that he loved playing Skeletor, but I didn't know that after all that he showed it to his son. His son fell asleep. <laughs> well, I... Um, Unlike you, I was not a fan of He-Man. I, I, I couldn't care less about He-Man and Skeletor and She-Girl or whatever else was was that. I didn't care. I like the Star Wars. Right. I was in like Star Wars action figures. I didn't, I didn't get into the um, muscular He-Man. Okay. Yeah. So I was aware of the canon movies, which I know that was that was always a bad sign. <laughs> the movie was a canon movie. I think they made these bad Charles. Bronson movies. And mm-hmm. They made some other. They made Breakin', which uh, <laughs> I've never seen. That was their. That was the big hit. But I, um, I actually did enjoy this movie. <laughs> once again, I once again I was like, oh, this is. I, I just this one I thought was going to be a slog. <laughs> I really did, and I had no idea what the story was. So I had, I didn't know that they were going that they were going to go to Earth. I thought it was just all going to take place on this mystical land. And they go to Earth and meet Courtney Cox. And that, I didn't know any of this was coming. That happens. <laughs> so I love that. I this is the only this is the reason I'm gonna say I have to give a thumbs up to this movie. They they introduced these three like henchmen and I have the names okay, I believe it was um Saurad well it wasn't Gwildor because Billy Barty. It was oh Gwildor. Was Saurad, Karg, and Beastman. Yes. <laughs> Beastman was Beastman was at least actually a character in an action figure. The other guys were invented for the movie, including Gwildor. Okay, I want to get a Beastman action figure. Yeah, I'm a. I might be Beastman's number one fan now. (laughs) I mean, this this movie persuaded me. (laughs) I I mean, Beastman needs its own movie. I, I I love this. I love the build up to Beastman. I love everything about it, (laughs) and I love. Just for that alone, it, it, it sold me. I like the fact that I like the fact that Frank Langella had a really fake mask on his Skeletor, and yet they have they have close-ups, constant close-ups, so you can see every every nook and cranny of how fake this looked. <laughs> that he was obviously wearing a mask. I mean, I know there's not a real Skeletor, but it didn't look real. I found him hilarious and awesome at the same time. He's got all these great supervillain lines. I must possess everything, or I possess nothing. <laughs> he was he was just having a great time. He, he, uh, it, it, it's it's it is fun to watch an actor who's clearly enjoying himself. Yeah. Even though we couldn't even see him, you could always see him. I think Jeremy Irons tried to do a similar thing in that Dungeons and Dragons movie, but he had much less success at it. <laughs> he was going for it, but it, it was kind of embarrassing. Whereas Langella, I think it's because he had his more makeup over his face. It was easy to sort of like get lost in it a little bit. He was so into it, it was hard not to get into it yourself. <laughs> yeah, maybe he figured he was a disguise. We wouldn't know it was him, but we saw his name in the beginning. We knew. Um, Dolph Lundgren seemed uncomfortable. Right? <laughs> I thought so, yeah. I, I, like, it's interesting. Dolph Lundgren, generally speaking, is an interesting guy. Apparently, he's, like, super crazy intelligent. But because he's this big buff dude, <laughs> he's sort of been, you know, right. p- 
playing all these lughead action roles. And I don't think he's comfortable with the costume. I don't think he's comfortable with the concept. I think that it was a starring role and that was going to be good for his career. And like the, the it, it felt like one of those promo, uh, performances that was like, he didn't understand what was going on. Like it was being translated for him and he was saying the lines phonetically, but like, I just didn't feel the performance behind him. Um, I think that Gwildor and Tila and Man at Arms, his sidekicks, uh, like they are what they are. I was kind of amused. I'd forgotten about the whole subplot about them criticizing modern Earth for being meat eaters. They have this sort of vegetarian right. agenda underneath going on, which in the late '80s was not a common thing. Like I don't think they were lecturing us about uh, our, our eating habits. I think that was supposed to be funny that these hard-ass warriors were disgusted at the idea of eating meat. Oh, that's interesting. That was supposed to be funny. Yeah, because you, when you watch it today, it's like it's a public, you know, like a PSA, public service message. Yeah. Or something. That's that. how it reads now, but I don't think so. Not in 87. Right, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's interesting. I didn't think about that. Okay. The whole. Well, in this movie also stars the great Billy Barney. Yeah. Yeah, the whole plot serves around the cosmic key which this little creature has, has invented, which can open a portal to any place in time and space. Skeletor has one, the right. good guys have one, but Skeletor needs to get both of them. And uh, it, it's, 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 I mean, I, a lot of times I try to break down plot, but in this movie, it's He-Man <laughs> and Skeletor are going to have a fight, but first they're going to spend an hour and 15 minutes in 1987. <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, as a throwback to Back to the Future, we got the slacker guy, mm -hmm. you know, the the principal from Back to the Future. He's he's in it. Yeah, forgot his name. But there he's he is. There. Uh, he's still alive. That yeah. guy's still alive. He's like ninety-eight or something like that. I remember as a kid finding a lot of color in the supporting characters in Earth, even though it's not really what I wanted. There was that police lieutenant, that bald guy who gets sort of wrapped up into the alien world and he has a couple of funny lines. Um, like, there are moments that are legitimately well handled, but that's not what I watched the movie for. <laughs> it's just a pageant of ridiculousness. Like, it's so strange that this movie, really any of the movies on this list exist, but this movie in particular... Strangely, Hollywood's been trying to make moves to, like, reinvent the Masters of the Universe. And, and like, I don't know how you do it. I don't... <laughs> like, even as a, quote, fan of the product... I don't know. It, it's ridiculous. There they... Yeah, there, there are certain things out there like this. Like, they're always trying to... Like, they had, like, some success with it. And they're always trying to get some other kind of success. Trying to, like, reinvent. There, there, there's, there's certain things that don't work. No. I mean... I guess I say that, and the Transformers movies continued to... Well, I guess they're starting to die off now, but they've made a ridiculous amount of money. It doesn't seem to matter how bad they were. They still showed up for it. Maybe they're thinking they're going to be able to do that with Masters of the Universe. I remain skeptical. I think it's a tough one to do. The weird thing is is that I loved this movie when I was a kid just because it was a Masters of the Universe movie. Like, If I was able to think critically at that age, I'd be like, they disrespected this product. <laughs> Which sounds like a ridiculous thing to say, but like, they didn't care about the characters, they didn't care about the story that was being told, they made their own complete thing, and it was dumb. But I, I loved it. I watched it a whole lot when I was a kid. It, I'm kind of like over it now, 
but I can't say that I don't like Masters of the Universe. I would just be lying if I said that I hated Masters of the Universe. It's not going to be top of the list, but like once upon a time in my life, this was just the pinnacle of cinema. Yeah, I've never seen it before. Yeah. Different different places. I had never seen it before, as I said, but uh, it's... Yeah, yeah. I felt that way, the disrespect. I felt that way when they made a sequel to the Blues Brothers, because I Ugh. loved the Blues Brothers when I was a kid. Yeah. And they made Blues Brothers 2. I said, no! You were right to say no, because it's a terrible sequel. <laughs> oh, well. I mean... I never saw it. And I, I, won't, I hope I never have to see it. Unless I'm on a podcast like this, and I'm saying, <laughs> to watch it. <laughs> You know, there are certain movies that I just won't do on the podcast. Like, I just, like, don't, I don't think they deserve the attention. Like, I'm so mad at the movie that, like, I would rather re-review something else than talk about that piece of shit. Yeah, Blues Brothers 2000. But we've stopped talking about Masters of the Universe. Is there anything else you wanted to say about Masters of the Universe, or do you think we covered it? I think that's, uh, I think that's it. All right. She's a girl from Southern California looking for Mr. Right and finding Mr. Wrong. You brought a girl home to have sex? Well, you weren't supposed to be here, Val. If meaningless sex is what you want, why can't you have it with me? They're aliens lost in space looking for somewhere to land. It's love at first fright. <laughs> Earth girls are easy. I'm going to show you something that's going to totally change your life completely forever. Are they straight? I don't know. They're aliens. So, what do you do with three furry aliens? You've got to cut their hair. What did you say? You're incredible. So, what's the plan for tonight? We can't go out with these guys. They're aliens. They can still be dates. Their close encounters are of a different kind. Dancing in our nightclubs. I'm going home with him. Driving on our highways. Playing on our beaches. They boldly go where no alien has gone before. We may not even be, you know, anatomically correct for each other. That could be a real problem. No problem. Earth girls are easy. What is easy? This is easy. Okay, Earth girls are easy. There was a, a, a run of films that Gina Davis and Jeff Goldblum did together, the very best of which was obviously The Fly. I have a very affectionate guilty pleasure response to Transylvania 6-5000. And then we have this number, Earth Girls Are Easy. <laughs> Gina Davis plays like a, a LA Valley girl who uh, one day a spaceship lands in her swimming pool and three colorful furry aliens come out. She shaves them, and underneath there's a very young Jim Carrey, a very young Damon Wayans, and uh, Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> and she takes them on adventures in, in Los Angeles. There's a lot of uh, musical numbers. Um, it's very buoyant and, and 
poppy and loud and it's crazy it's just an insane movie and we've been talking about a lot of insane movies and there are things about this movie that i do think are interesting just seeing like jim carrey at this phase of his career that young really going for it in this sort of eccentric performance is sort of just interesting to see where he would go from there and oh my god, is Gina Davis ever ridiculously hot in this movie? <laughs> she spends most of the movie in a yeah, bathing she suit. A bikini yeah. For about... Yeah. And like at the risk of sounding like yeah. a heterosexual male, like <laughs> she is just like incredibly incredibly beautiful in that movie. Like it's hard to take your eyes off of her. It's it's just how I feel. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Goldblum's Dreamy too. I've always had a bit of a man crush on Jeff yeah. Goldblum, but like, I was surprised. Like, like I, I guess, like, I, I, I didn't think Gina Davis was ever unattractive, but she's super hot in this movie. I don't know if that's like a criticism or like some sort of point about the movie, but I felt the need to address it because it was one of the things that was getting me through the movie. I think for me, the big problem with the movie well. is the values yeah, that, that it represents. Yeah. The whole idea of the movie is not a comment on Valley Girls, but kind of a celebration of Valley Girls? Or am I wrong? I guess so. Yeah, because they were in the Valley. I, I thought it was... I thought the movie got kind of boring sometimes. I thought it was, perhaps it was lacking structure. Like so, you know, like a structure that a that a movie should have in order, in order to keep an audience's uh, interest. Yeah, I thought it was a lot of uh, a lot of color, a lot of style, a lot of there's a lot of cool elements to it. But on the whole, it wasn't. Um, it was more of like a it was more like a good movie to have. I was I was talking about like at a party or something like that. It'd be a good movie to kind of just have on in the background. And people can walk by and say, "Oh, is that is that Jim Carrey?" Or, "Hey, that's cool. Look at this. Look at this thing. This musical number." And there was like, there was at least one musical number that was completely random. Yeah. And I, I liked it, but it's you know, as as a movie that doesn't really hold up very well. Right. And Angeline was in it. It was like she was famous for being a woman who was on billboards in L.A. in, in the '80s, and she just shows up because it's a big cameo by and- Angeline. A cameo that holds okay. no water or relevance anymore, unfortunately. <laughs> no, no, and well, I think it's a, I think it's an interesting movie in terms of in the history of comedy, if you will, because this was uh, Jim Carrey and, and Damon Wayans before *In Living Color*. Right. And uh, Damon Wayans had had apparently um, Damon Wayans apparently had recommended Jim Carrey to *In Living Color*, so. Um, I mean, they had both been around to some degree. I think I think David Wayans had been on SNL already at that point, and Jim Carrey had his own sitcom. Oh, he did once while. bitten that vampire movie just before this too, so he yeah. he'd he'd been in things, but like yeah, he hadn't popped. Things, yeah. Um, I, I the right, politics right, yeah. of the movie are a little icky to me. Like, they have that whole song and dance number about how it's better to be blonde. But I didn't feel any irony in that. I felt like that was just like they were singing about how it was better to be blonde. Uh, the Gina Davis character's boyfriend is like the most like openly despicable person. And no matter how despicable he is, she loves him. The only reason that she changes her mind is that Jeff Goldblum's hotter. Like, really? Like, that's 
It's a shallow movie. I honestly do believe it's a shallow movie. I think if it had been a satire about shallow people, that it could have had a little bit of edge and worked more. But it's a celebration of shallow people. That's how I read it today. And um, it's a time capsule of what was celebrated in that time period. And it is cool to see Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis in such an insane movie. Like... I think they were just looking for projects to do together. Like that was their priority more than like how good the scripts were. And uh, I don't know. I I like what the movie. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, yeah. I like what the movie wants to be in a way. Like I like that it's just crazy balls to the wall absurdity. And like seeing Michael McKeon play this like surfer dude was kind of refreshing because it's so different than what I'm used to seeing him. Like this is the this is Spinal Tap. <laughs> Uh, there's stuff in the movie that should work for me that that should be like yeah I see what you're doing this is fun don't overthink it Larry and I felt myself asking hard questions of Earth Girls Are Easy in a way that I wasn't with Critters 2 or Masters of the Universe I couldn't get lost in the stupidity I started to get a little bit irritated by it yeah that I actually found Michael McKeon a little uh, distracting, which says a lot to me. <laughs> distracting in this movie, just because I I don't think I'd ever seen him play like a surfer guy. And yeah. I actually saw this movie. This is one one movie I did see years and years ago, and I probably didn't have a problem with Michael McKeon then. But after seeing Michael McKeon over the years, like a Better Call Saul and playing th- this kind of roles, yeah. Uh, you know, it was a, it was something that him playing a surfer guy seemed like it would work more like a sketch than a full length movie. There was also the other thing that doesn't hold up is there. There's like this gay humor that didn't work out too well. Like they yeah. make these two police officers gay and they've got these lisping voices. Like ah, no, that doesn't work well. And, <laughs> 2021 well, and like that stuff goes right well deep yeah. into the 90s like the idea that something about homosexuality is innately hilarious uh, yeah no it, that's that's time i try not to be as hard on stuff that like it's just of a different time but you're right watching it today yeah, that yeah. that's gonna sting a little yeah yeah I, so that's how i thought about it i thought it looked like a movie that lacked structure and i believe the director right julian Julian Temple, he was famous for music videos, right? That comes across, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it does. This is like a big music video. Yeah, did he direct anything? Yeah, basically most of his credits are are music videos, and that stands to reason. There's something about it that, like, I feel like there is something here, though. Like... I like the goofy innocence of the aliens. I like the colorfulness of like the yeah. the creatures, the artificial look of the spaceship, like how it doesn't really look like a spaceship but looks like a mock-up of a spaceship that you'd see at an amusement park yeah. or something like this. Uh conceptually the idea of doing this big brash sort of like loud colorful musical um set in LA in the 80s like it seems like it should work. Like I feel like all the pieces for an interesting movie are here, but there's something about the order in which they're laid out that it doesn't come together for me. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. It's like it's like it has a strong identity to it. Like there were very strong choices that were made and they followed through with them, but it just doesn't really have the full script, I guess, to really uh, hold up. It's a good. I think it's a decent movie to watch it pieces but like i said just to sit there and watch it as a whole 
hour and a half movie, I, I just didn't, I didn't feel that really worked. Um, and I don't, it's, it's also interesting cause this isn't one that really hit at the time either. Like it's one of those movies that like is so of its time short of break into electric boogaloo. Like it really has no business existing beyond the year it was released. But even for that, the year it was released, it was largely ignored. I think if you it, like, if you were doing a a tour of like retro '80s movies and you wanted to know what the '80s aesthetic really was, this definitely speaks to the MTV vibe of the late '80s. Like, like if you want to see what that aesthetic was, this movie probably nails it as good as any. Um, but is that a good enough reason to endorse the movie? Yeah. Again, I like the cast. I like the look. I like the concept. I'm not hot on the movie, so it's it's a strange one for me. Yeah, and I would say I, I would say it's above average as a movie, you know, because of the different elements. The production value is really good. Like, uh, yeah, I, it doesn't feel incompetent. Yeah. It doesn't feel like they're like half-assing it or that these things are happening accidentally. It's just not. It's just not closing the deal. Um, it's not a movie to get mad it's at. It's kind of like you're rooting for it to be good. Exactly, exactly. I want it to be better than it is, and it's not. But it seems like every now and then I'll revisit Earth That's Girls Are Easy and think, maybe this time. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't work like that. No, afraid not. Uh, I kind of did short run on this one, but I'm running out of things to say. Is there anything else you want to say about Earth Girls Are Easy? No, I think that's it. All right. That's all. Oh, I will say that just a, just from a historical perspective, this has three uh, SNL cast members, one future cast member, and two previous cast members. Hmm. Fun fact. As a, uh, yep, Charles Rocket, um, Damon Wayans, and then Michael McKeon was a, an SNL cast member about 10 years later or something like oh, that, wow. like in the 90s. Yeah. Hmm. I guess we have an SNL professional on the podcast. <laughs> I'm an SNL historian. <laughs> My dude. What about um, military applications? Wide open. Missile guidance, that kind of thing? They're going to be able to plug right into the old noodle. I made that for you. What is it? It's me. Blown communication as we've known it, right out of the water. You know that, don't you? So something happened to me. It was more than just a sexual fantasy. It was a feeling I had. I'm more than I was, Mike. I'm scared. But the thing is, I like it. I want more. No, I can't authorize this. It's a chance to take a scientific look at the scariest thing a person ever has to face. This is not the research we're interested in. This is my project. I don't want to see it end up on some defense scrap heap before we know what it's really about. I want these personal experiments stopped. I told you I want to play it out. Nobody plays that tape. So brainstorm of all the movies on this list is the one that maybe doesn't belong i mean it is from the 80s and it is very strange 
but it's earnest. It's a straight-faced science fiction movie. There's nothing overtly goofy about it, except the, you know that it's kind of a dated movie now. <laughs> um, so it might be a little bit unfair to have Brainstorm on this list. I guess I'm saying I will put myself be blamed for that. There's a lot of interesting things to be said about the movie. Uh, Douglas Trumbull, the director, is a special effects guy, and after this movie came out and all of the headaches he had making it, he vowed to never make a movie again. He still does special effects work, but he's never stepped behind the camera again. And I don't think that he sucks as a director. I do think that the movie has some pacing problems, like it, it moves just a little bit slower than I want it to at times, but the, the directing is not necessarily the problem. And I don't think the cast is a problem. Louise Fletcher, Natalie Wood, and the always interesting Christopher Walken, right in the middle of his weird 80s phase when he was doing things like The Dead Zone and Communion. And like, uh, he's just a very strangely watchable presence. There's something about Christopher Walken. Um, so that helps me with the movie. I think it's this spectrovision that they're trying to do. Whenever they're it's about a bunch of scientists that are basically inventing the kind of virtuality, virtual reality headset. But instead of creating the virtual reality, they take other people's experiences and basically trend. You can wear this helmet and experience exactly what they did. Be that riding a water slide or a roller coaster, eating food, having sex, or in one memorable, probably the most memorable sequence of the movie dying. You can record that and you can play it back for yourself. And um, there's all sorts of different things that you could use this technology for. But of course, the powers that be want to militarize it. Of course, uh, the, the exciting technology gets immediately sort of corrupted. And it becomes a tug of war of does it really work the way they want it to? And where is it going to end up? And like a lot of smart science fiction movies, it's asking some tough, bold questions. But the wow factor of the movie, the thing that was supposed to blow our minds, is... I was going to say gone, but I will say severely deluded. Like, when we see the view from his mind, if you saw this movie in the theater, all of a sudden the screen, the, the actual picture on the screen would get bigger, and the frame rate per second would quadruple. And it would be like going from VHS quality to Blu-ray quality all of a sudden while you're watching the movie. And in 1983 or whenever this was, I bet you a lot of people in the audience were like, oh my God. And apparently people were reporting feeling like their stomach doing somersaults while they were on the roller coaster. It was like an amazing experience, which is completely gone now. When you watch the movie now, it's just like a point of view shot of somebody riding a roller coaster. The wow factor is largely absent from this movie. And a science fiction movie, sans the wow factor, can be a bit of a slog. I don't hate the movie. I love, again, what the movie wants to be. But in this crowd of movies, it was just such a different taste that it just... It, it's, not, it's not a bad movie, but it's going to rank lower than a lot of quote-unquote bad movies for that reason for me. Right. Um, am I crazy? I wonder, well, I, I wonder if this movie really did have a wow factor to it. In a way, you mentioned the Lawnmower Man before. It kind of reminds me of that. It would go into those, these like Lawnmower Man animated uh, crazy sequences, which I actually would not have compared to the Lawnmower Man because I just mentioned it. I just, I just 
remembered that. Right. But I found this. This is the one movie on the list that I really hadn't wasn't familiar with at all. I remember vaguely hearing about it because this was Natalie Wood's last movie. Yeah, infamously. Scramble around. I think they used her sister in some of the scenes. Yeah. Notice where they used her, her sister, but. Um, I was confused by this movie uh, because I watched the movie, then I read the Wikipedia description and I, because I was kind of confused. And I was like, oh, I didn't even know that stuff was happening. I thought that Christopher Walken, here's the spoilers because I explained the whole movie. I thought Christopher Walken was married to Nellie Wood. I thought he left Nellie Wood for Louise Fletcher, Nurse Ratchet. But apparently, I don't, but I don't think he was in a relationship with no. Nurse Ratchet. I thought they were. Yeah, well, he's and awfully then, kissy with her. He keeps on hugging and kissing her because she's, like, su- a super genius, yeah. I guess. But he's very handsy with I, her. I thought they were together. Yeah. I thought they were together. And then I thought that was the awkwardness of them him working with Natalie Wood again because he had nurse ratchet her a couple. <laughs> and uh, and then, I guess I, should, I, I call it Louise Fletcher. I don't know what her character was in this movie. But then she gets a heart attack. I did not know she was having a heart attack. I didn't know. Right. It looked like she was like freaking out. I thought it was like what I thought was going on was I thought it was a side effect to the work that she was doing, it was right. like virtual reality work. And then she puts the, puts the thing on and she records herself dying. I know this from reading reading Wikipedia. I thought she was having this freak out. She put on these this like headset because she wanted to like experience like some kind of calm thing while she did like calm herself down from freaking out. That's that's what I put together. So I had no idea this was going on. So then I was I had no idea that she had a heart attack. So this like threw me off for the whole movie. Then yeah. there's a funeral, and this then I was then I was thrown off because I thought Mr. Walken was like having a thing with her. He's like in mourning for about three seconds, and then he's like back Natalie Wood <laughs> about three seconds after that. Right. So I don't know what was there was, and then there was also. There was, there was, because I, I guess, because this is like a precursor to virtual reality, right? Can we say that? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So then there was one virtual reality thing where uh, they were passing around. The one guy apparently had sex with a woman. He recorded himself. So other people were doing this. So the one guy working in the lab was apparently experiencing the VR of having sex sex but it was just like the couple seconds of the orgasm like over and over and over again the only reason i know this is from wikipedia right did not get that from the movie and this like was knocking him out he couldn't handle it he was uh, so to me the movie it, it looked like there was something that could have been really cool about it but and maybe this was because of the loss of natalie wood but perhaps there were some scenes that were never shot that that maybe would clarified it maybe it was just the way i was watching it i didn't i didn't just didn't get it and also possible that maybe there was like that like i said that one part where louise fletcher was having a heart attack i didn't get that it was never explained that may have just thrown me off the whole thing but yeah. i i was watching a different movie than other people i guess i think you i agree with you that the movie uh, expects you to understand stuff or, or or take in things that aren't clearly explained uh, I kind of I got what was going on with Louise Fletcher and her death scene, but I agree with you about the guy in the virtual reality sex. I understood that he was wearing the helmet and and reliving a sexual encounter, but I didn't understand what it was that like brought him near to death. Like I didn't understand what happened, and the movie didn't do a good job of explaining it. 
And I agree with you there. Like, that's clearly a plot problem. And there was nothing in that wing of the story that had anything to do with Natalie Wood. That was just sloppy narrative. But I find the idea that they're playing with kind of interesting. Um, the, the scene where his son starts playing with the virtual reality headset and ends up catatonic is kind of like a, a scary idea. That was Jason Lively. If you want another great, crazy 80s movie yeah. to watch... Night of the Creeps, starring Jason Lively. I know that's an aside. He's like 13 or 14 in this movie. But later on in the 80s, he would do a beautiful horror comedy. Um, but again, that's sort of the stuff that I've been distracting myself from watching the movie. Hey, there's Jason Lively. I like Jason Lively. Cliff Robertson. Hey, Cliff Robertson's in this movie. Um, I think Louise Fletcher has fun with her, her role. Like the idea of recording her own death for science like that's the way i saw it they were setting it up with her that she was constantly coughing and sick and chain smoking like like i knew they were going to do something with that character like they they just spent way too much time showing us her being sickly but i like the idea of because she's been a scientist her entire life and she's pretty sure she's dying that she wants to document it for science i thought conceptually that's a really cool scene and i do think louise fletcher is a good actress and she sells it but i think the best part of the movie is gone is yeah. done when she leaves it well it does sound it does sound cool it looked cool i agree that christopher walken was like very interesting in the movie but it just seemed to me like it should have gone in a more interesting uh direction i don't really know what the military were trying to get i i thought Maybe they were trying to do some kind of torture technique, like a virtual reality torture, but I'm not even sure. So there was just like so much in this movie that I I wasn't getting yeah. what, was, what was happening. So so I, I, I didn't, I can't uh, recommend this movie. No, it's a soup of ideas. And like a lot of high concept science fiction, I find it interesting, but interesting is different than good. Like, we were talking about sort of, like, the cheesiness or, like, the off-puttingness of some of the weirder titles of this, this group that we're talking about. Because a movie is more entertaining or than it is quote-unquote good, That does that mean, you know, is it a bad movie still? I like what this movie's trying to be, but I think it kind of fails it. So it's it's interesting, but it doesn't close the deal. It's a tease in a lot of ways. But uh, it's one of these movies that I think maybe right. remake it. Like, don't remake classic movies. Remake movies that had a really good idea, but a wonky execution. And I think that's what Brainstorm is at the end yeah. of the day. It's a really good idea with a kind of a wonky execution. Yeah, but be careful because they, re as you said before, they rebate Maximum Overdrive. It didn't work. No, it's true. It's true. So you never know. <laughs> Sometimes you get yeah. trucks. But and no, I agree. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> sometimes you get trucks. Sometimes you get the Evil Dead there. remake. It's, it's hard to know where you're going to land with remakes, but... Yeah. Um, I don't know. But this was this, this was yeah this, this was disappointing because I, I as you said Christopher Walken was was really cool with Louise Fletcher and I I haven't even seen her in a lot of other things. I right. think she did a movie with John Lovitz at one point. Uh, so and she was good at what she was doing in this movie. She's a strong actress who just never got. I guess the roles weren't available. Well, she won her uh, Oscar for lot, so. she won her Oscar for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. So there was like five. 
five or ten years after that where she was something of a hot property and she would show up in high profile movies like this or like Firestarter or like other movies of the 80s that were like good movies to be in but didn't supply her the legacy that maybe she deserved. <clears throat> but this is definitely another example of Louise Fletcher being really good in a mediocre movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't work out. That's why this is not a classic. I no. never hear anything about this movie. <laughs> There's probably a reason. <laughs> right. Oh, well. In the year 2017, an innocent man accused of a crime has a choice. Hard time or prime time. Sensational, perfect contestant. I want him. He must pay or play the running man. On your mark! I'll be back. Go! The highest rated TV show in history. I guess they want us to stay. It's a game between life and death. Can you lift? Arnold Schwarzenegger is... The Running Man. He's playing for a prize. The prize is his life. How about the life? The Running Man. So we started this run of reviews with uh, Maximum Overdrive, Stephen King adaptation. We're gonna we're gonna wrap up the reviews with The Running Man. Uh, which is another Stephen King adaptation. Well, Richard Bachman, to be more precise. But it's directed by Paul Michael Glazer. It's set in a dystopian future where a TV game show will select uh, criminals from different prison systems and have them compete in gladiator battles to the death. But if they can fight their way through this uh, underground post-earthquake Los Angeles <laughs> a post-apocalyptic game show, in theory they're supposed to be granted their freedom. Of course, our main character, played by Arnold Schwarzenegger, has been wronged. He has been falsely accused of being a terrorist, and he gets put in this game show, and he's got to fight his way through it, and he's got to, you know, show everybody that he's innocent and put to end the corrupt government that's running this dystopian future it's as cheesy as it sounds but at the risk of being a broken record though i see a lot of like cliches and a lot of like you know dystopian sci-fi copy paste elements i just can't hate the running man <laughs> one of the things that i really like about the running man is the uh the TV show that they're showing that's supposed to be, I believe it's set in 2017, which is the future of this movie. And the TV show as presented is so 80s that it's just hilarious with like the, the, the fly girl in living color dancers and the, you know, the lights and the, just the, uh, the approach to the game show. There's nothing futuristic about it at all. It's like, the 80s imagined the future being even more 80s. <laughs> it's fun. It's dumb. 
It's escapist, and I like it. <laughs> there we. That's that's where I start with the Running Man. Well, I have to say, well, uh, for for all this listening, on, we. Um, uh, so yeah, we never met before. This is our first conversation. We are definitely on the same page in terms of these movies. <laughs> now, so the Running Man is one of the movies I did see before. This was Arnold Schwarzenegger was in his prime. He was a, a pure movie star. And this was like the B level of his movies. This is like, you know, it wasn't Terminator, it wasn't uh, Total Recall. No, it's but, closer to the uh, raw deal end uh, of the spectrum. <laughs> raw deal, yes. And I've, I saw all these movies. Of so course. I, I did enjoy this. I've seen all, all, all sorts of things. I don't think I ever saw Red Sonja, but I saw all the other ones. It's not too late for me. Um, I can still see it. But yeah, this this movie is kind of ridiculous. Um, also, is TriStar still around? I saw at the beginning it said this says I don't think I haven't seen a TriStar movie in a long time. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think so. Was one. I believe you. I'm not sure about that, but yes, I don't know if that's around. Um, this is pure A's. It's got a Harold Altemeyer theme. Which I believe he did the Beverly Hills Cop music, and he did a lot of like the '80s music. Oh, also, as far as um, the way they see the future, they um, they have something that's very similar to Siri and Alexa. Yeah, in this movie. That's true. But but they also think they also think that answering machines and cassettes are still around. Yes. <laughs> so this movie also, also and from an historical point of view. From a historical point of view, we have two future governors. Mm-hmm. Two future governors are in it, having a fight. Reuniting from Predator. So, oh, that's right. Yeah, it was um, Arnold, of course, and... Uh, Jesse Ventura. What's, his name? What's, the, what's the other guy's name? The wrestler. Jesse Ventura. The body. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Jesse Ventura's in this. Jim Brown is in this. Fireball. Yafet Kodo. Yafet Kodo. Maria Cachito Alonso, who I've often re- remarked was like like a go-to supporting actress until like 1992, and then she just seemed to vanish. <laughs> she seemed to be everywhere for a while, and then she was nowhere. But uh, just a familiar, yeah. recognizable, likable face from, from the 80s. Yeah, and I thought that Richard Dawson yeah, the host of uh, Family Feud for years. He was very good. This movie. He was an actor. He was on Hogan's Heroes before uh, Family Feud. So he had some. Uh, he's an acting skills, and um, he was probably he was probably the strong strongest point of this movie. Yeah. You know, uh, he he definitely his his acting his performance. I think I think kind of held the movie held the movie in a way. You know, kind of. He was uh, like believable. He was believable as a cheesy game show host, and he was also believable as a sleazy villain. And he was able to sort of play both sides to that quite effectively. And uh, again, he wasn't going to steal the marquee from Arnold Schwarzenegger. There's just something very specific about what Arnold brings to a movie. (laughs) But uh, he was great. Like we wanted to see Arnold take him out. We wanted to see him yeah, defeated, and we got to see him defeated. So cheesy. 
Oh, that's what we watch Arnold movies for, is yes. the cheesy one-liners. <laughs> I also want to talk about... one-liners, he... Oh, sorry. I also want to talk about the the Bachman books. Like that, the, this is based off of from Stephen King. I, I I think like even though it was a sort of an experiment to see if he could have success without the steam on it, and a lot of these are like trunk books that he'd written before he was quote famous. Particularly this story, The Running Man, even though the movie's quite different, and the other Bachman book, The Long Walk really speaks to these dystopian movies that are very popular these days, especially in, like, uh, young adult fiction, things like The Hunger Games and, uh, like, that whole era er that we're in. Stephen King was doing that in the 70s with his books. And, like, right now it's the popular thing with teenage readers today. I mean, I just wanted to give Stephen King, as a fan of Stephen King, more points. A lot of people are dismissive of the man as an author, and he is prolific and deeply talented. Um, I don't think that if you watch The Running Man, you would really get a good idea of the novel of The Running Man, and by the way, that's not one of his best books by a good margin, but... He does science fiction, and he does fantasy, and he does drama, and, like, there's range to it. And I like that this was one of the Stephen right. King adaptations of the 80s, that they didn't make a big deal out of it being Stephen King. In, in, in a way, I, 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 I like the unbranded yeah, Stephen yeah. King stuff for some reason. <laughs> yeah, I can see that, because it doesn't really... Yeah, it doesn't really play like a Stephen King story. It more it more plays like an Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's more much more Arnold Schwarzenegger than Stephen King. But the mix works better than you'd think. Much like uh, a few years ago, Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah. made, made the, a zombie movie, and you have this idea in your head of what an Arnold Schwarzenegger zombie movie would be, and the movie's not that at all. But it's quite interesting. So you know, anytime you what's think that? what's that movie? It's called Maggie. Uh, oh. Yeah, his daughter is infected with a zombie virus, and she's going to change, and she's going to die, and instead of giving her over to the authorities, he takes her to the farm so that he can be with her for her final days. Sounds like a laugh riot, huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Jeez, okay. Um, the fun of the running my zombie daughter the fun of the running man isn't you know <laughs> the fun of the running man is not like the Stephen King aspect of it you're right it is the Arnold Schwarzenegger it is the gladiator battles there's a dude named Electro that has a bunch of Christmas lights on him and shoots beams of electricity and there's a dude named Fireball who shoots fireballs and like there's these like awesome set pieces and uh i find that the stuff in between with maria conchita alonso stealing you know the information and uh the back behind the scenes of the the game show and the you know the very obvious plot that nobody wins the running man like they're gonna even if he wins he's gonna be be screwed over i found all of that less interesting than when we were seeing gladiator fights but i didn't find any of it boring at no point was I saying to myself, get on with it. And that had happened a few other times with some of these other movies. Oh, yeah. This was this was uh, very entertaining. There was also a villain um, in the game show called Dynamo. And his power was he, was he was an opera singer. That's right. 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 Not Electro Dynamo. You're right. So I like that. <laughs> yeah. 
there, I think there was a lecture too. Wasn't there? Oh, was there a lecture as well? Was, All right. <laughs> sure. There is something silly about it. There's something silly about the movie, is there not, though? Like, it does fit yeah, in the yeah. crazy 80s aesthetic. But because it's like a future dystopia, you can kind of roll with it a little more than you could with some of the other movies we talked about. Like, Masters of the Universe and Earth Girls Are Easy, it's a real hard sell to, like, agree to uh, commit to the world. Whereas for some reason with The Running Man, right away I was just on board. I just decided to go with it. Uh, I didn't find myself fighting with the movie, which is usually what will yeah, be yeah. the movie's undoing. If you fight this movie at all, you will win. But if you decide that you want to watch a fun, dumb Arnold movie, this is one of those. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just have to let it go. <laughs> That's right. Say, uh, he he uh, breaks a guy's neck and he says, he says uh, you're a real pain in the neck. You're a real pain in the neck. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god what a hothead <laughs> yeah I, I, I feel like this episode of Rankin Review is going to really damage yeah. it's going to this, this episode is going to damage my credibility as a critic because like <laughs> I am really playing support for a lot of well, goofy movies <laughs> you're going to contribute to that as well I appreciate it is there anything else you wanted to say about The Running Man I think that's it, except that I was just very... I was surprised to see Mick Fleetwood. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Fleetwood Mac. Right. Uh, I don't know why Mick... I didn't know, even know Mick Fleetwood acted. I didn't know he acted. Mick Fleetwood and Dweezil uh, Zappa. Somebody was a music fan in the casting. <laughs> yeah, Dweezil Zappa is an example of someone who was a household name during probably that year. And now... <laughs> Nobody would know. Like, younger people would have no idea who Dweezil Zapp is. Yeah. No. Um, and again, there's a whole... He's still around. There's a whole generation of kids right now that really don't properly appreciate the cheesy glory of the 80s era Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. And, you know, you gotta find this, you guys. <laughs> My dad was yeah. like a old... And I will say Mick Fleetwood is... Yeah. He's good in it. My dad was an old school guy. He was all about oh, John Wayne, and yeah, he, I will say he's good. Yeah, he's good he would die at the altar of John Wayne. And and me, I will die at the altar of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Like I get that he's not the most amazing actor, but there's something about his presence. His there's just something about the guy that I love seeing on film. Yes, he was a he he was he was a true movie star. That's and I right. Guess he still is. He's still. Still, still doing stuff. Yeah. He never disappears in a role. You're never like, was that really Arnold Schwarzenegger? No, it's you always know what you're seeing, but no, no. <laughs> but I just yeah. love it. I love what he brings like to, to the movies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to see some of his his uh, recent work. Hold- the bullet point is that the Running Man is very familiar dystopian sci-fi, but if you like science fiction and you like dystopian sci-fi. Buy the ticket, take the ride.
All right, Kurt, thank you so much for being here and uh, putting up with this. I know that uh, we were about two hours behind schedule of what we were supposed to be. So thank you oh, for putting fine. up with that. Uh, I am curious to hear what was the least favorite of these six movies and why? Uh, my least favorite is Brainstorm. Okay. Uh, well, for one reason, it holds up no nostalgia for me. Right. I don't even remember anything about this movie. So unfortunately, it's no fault of the movie, I guess. But uh, And then the movie to me was confusing. I didn't, I just didn't, didn't get what was happening. It looked like it had potential, but it didn't, it just just didn't work for me okay not terrible had potential i've seen worse movies mm -hmm. but it was my least favorite in a, a list of movies that includes maximum overdrive and critters too that's correct <laughs> <laughs> so that's my least favorite all right what's so next the rest of my list? yeah bring it down all right number five is maximum overdrive that's there because it's uh it is what it is it was, uh, <laughs> Better than I thought it was going to be, but my expectations were rock bottom. Right. But still, it had some uh, interesting elements to it, and it was a, uh, it was good work for stunt drivers. Yeah. So good for them. Number four, I have Earth Girls Are Easy. Yeah. Got a little better. Lacked story structure, but had a lot of style to it. Had a lot of panache to it, as Gene Simmons would say. Um, Number three, we get up, believe it or not, I, I didn't think I was going to rank this so high, but Masters of the Universe, which I think it's, uh, what did I enjoy, Wolf Boy? Or, Beast Man. I don't the guy's name. Beast Man, yeah. <laughs> Wolf Boy I'm a fan of, too. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah Beast Man definitely, definitely helped edge it. I, I just like the Courtney Cox and going back to the 80s, well, they were in the 80s anyway, yeah. but going to Earth. And uh, it was just a stupid, fun, fun <laughs> movie that I enjoyed. And number two, I it's... Yeah, it's amazing, but Critters 2 kind of won my heart in this <laughs> list. It was, um, I enjoyed it more than I should. And number one is, is uh, the one we just discussed. The Running, the running Man. The Running Man with Arnold Schwarzenegger, which that's, that hits all the marks. That is a pure nostalgia, uh, pure Arnold, which myself being, being a uh, kid in the 80s, I have to also love Arnold I, I just have to and the running man is a the running man is a is just great fun as a as a as I would say like a b-level Arnold movie it's not it's not Terminator 2 by any means but it gets but the job done certainly get the job done that's exactly right well i have to say kurt we have really close list unfortunately we didn't go six for six or zero for six this is a pretty rare thing to do but like i i think our tastes are surprisingly similar i had to put maximum overdrive at the bottom like i just had to like there is something so shrill and obnoxious and loud and like course about the movie like it it really does try your patience or it did try my patience however i will drop the caveat if you are a fan of movies that are quote so bad they're good maximum overdrive might be number one on this list for you so for me i just can't make any excuses for it and i and i usually struggle to make excuses for stephen king but the drugs and alcohol were running the show while he was doing this one. So, maximum overdrive in sixth place. 
five and four I waffled on. At the end, I put Earth Girls Are Easy in fifth place. Again, I love the energy and style of the movie. I just wish that it just had a core that made more sense to me or had a point other than the style. Like, I think it is a style as substance movie and those tend not to work for me. <laughs> um, yeah. So um, it's a tough one. I love Gina Davis. I love Jeff Goldblum. It's cool seeing, you know, very young Damon Wayans and Jim Carrey playing aliens. There's interesting things to be seen in the movie, but at the end of the day, is it a good movie? I don't know that it is. It's interesting, but not good. But that's exactly the place I'm at with Brainstorm. It's interesting, but not good. I think that the sci-fi concepts that they, they play with uh, are, are titillating enough that like I'm I'm interested in a movie that, that might be buried in there somewhere or the story that, that could come out of this. And I also have a big old soft spot for Christopher Walken. He's very distinct actor. Like again, he's one of one of these guys that never disappears in a role. You always know you're watching Christopher Walken, but I always enjoy watching Christopher Walken. So Brain scan or sorry, brainstorm might have got away with something getting to fourth place, but that's where I placed it. I think you're gonna find the top half of the list to be very familiar. <laughs> in third place, incredibly, Masters of the Universe. Even though like I tore into it during the review and the whole legacy of the over the top strange like <laughs> catastrophes that canon films were would author into the world. But I just can't hate Masters of the Universe. I can't decide because I like it because of its goofiness or if it's just because, you know, that 13-year-old kid that I was when I first saw it just decided that I loved the movie and I'm not going to budge on it. <laughs> so <laughs> there we are. Somehow Masters of the yeah. Universe is in third place. But I am right okay, there. Man. Yeah, I'm right there with you, though. Critters 2 incredibly making it to second place in this group of movies if there's a movie on this list that might be undiscovered or unsung like that people would like i'm not gonna watch critters 2 honestly this is the movie this is the movie out of this list that i would say if you haven't seen critters 2 watch critters 2 <laughs> like it's as of, as of today it's on hbo max so there you go yeah, what are you waiting for <laughs> the running man is number one. It, it's not a smart movie. It's a fun movie. It's an entertaining movie. It's, it, it, you know, not enough credit is given to movies that just put a smile on your face and help you, you know, forget about your troubles. And to me, that's what The Running Man is. I, I, I saw it when it was new, and I've seen it a lot of times. It has appalling rewatchability. Again, it's not an amazing movie, but it's a fun, nostalgic run. And that's what this whole list was about. So that's my list. I think we were very close. And I'm like, I hope you consider coming back because I see a potential rank and review champion before me here. <laughs> oh, yes. And I like your phrase. You said it was, it was an appalling, what'd you say? It has appalling rewatchability. Re yes. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> it's just how I feel. <laughs> Um, I like that phrase. Yeah. Okay. Thank, thank you so much for being here, Kurt. Please tell us the, the podcast again. Anything else you want to tell to the good people on the internet before we sign off? I'm on a podcast called A Lifetime of Hallmark, and you could look up my website, 
KurtFitzpatrick.com. That's Kurt with a K. And I have a I have a live show coming up. It's going to be at, uh, through the Rogue Festival, but it's, it'll be online, and that's going to be the first week of March, second week of March. So you can find out all that information through my website. Fantastic. Um, this episode should drop, I think, in mid-February, so that's well-timed. Oh, good. Thank you so much for being here, Kurt. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, if, you, if you're looking for me to return the favor, I would do that happily. If you're looking to come back on the show, I would be thrilled to have you. Oh, yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, this was great fun. <laughs> and Thanks we'll get the time me. straight next time. <laughs> oh, that was fine. Yeah. That's, that's perfectly fine. Great. Yeah, this, this is cool. All right. And I finally got to see Maximum Overdrive after all these years. That's what this was all about, was getting you to see Maximum Overdrive. <laughs> yes, yes. What will I get to see next? Some of those movies you had, I was like, what on earth is this? <laughs> That's what I'm about. I'm about movies yeah, like yeah. Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man. Nobody remembers that movie, but I no, celebrate I that movie. <laughs> so. I remember. I never saw that, but I do remember it. Yeah. Don Johnson and Mickey Rourke. Correct, sir. Yeah, Watch it. That's my endorsement to you today. That's your R and R homework. <laughs> Boy. And again, if someone told me that, that Critters Two is something that you had to see, so I have to listen. It's the Critters Two of action movies, brother. Harley Davidson, the Marvel. Okay. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna sign you off. Yeah. Uh, you have a good one. All right, you too. Be well. Done it. We reached the end of episode 183, The Crazy 80s Volume 2. Much thanks to Mr. Kurt Fitzpatrick. It was great to meet you, and I hope to talk to you again. If you want to send me feedback, send it to rankandreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. The website is rankandreview.ca. And thank you, as always, for listening to my podcast. Please tell your friends about Rank and Review, and please, please keep listening.